me ask you a question today. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? What I have here, I have what I call my happy bag. And so there's some things in here that make me very happy. So let's see what's in the happy bag today that makes Alex happy. Oh, we got some British chocolate. British chocolate makes me very happy. Just one piece of this in your mouth, it gives you this taste sensation that is amazing. And this euphoria that happens when you eat British chocolate, not American chocolate, British chocolate. British chocolate makes me very happy. Let's see what else makes me happy. Oh, British tea makes me happy. There is nothing like going home from a hard day's work when you're tired, sitting in a chair, supping a nice cup of English tea, even if your little finger goes in the air as well. There is nothing like British tea. That makes me very happy. What else is in here? Oh, there is a soccer ball, uh, also known in the rest of the world, calls it a football. Football makes me very happy. Every Saturday morning, I get up excited like a little boy because the English soccer is on TV, and most of the time, my team does well. They didn't do too well yesterday. (laughs) But it makes me very, very happy. What else is in my happy bag? Oh, we've got some golf balls. These make me very happy. The occasions I'm able to go out and stick some funny clothes on and wear a cap and then go onto the first tee and swing a golf club, I am very, very happy. After about 18 holes, not so happy. But anyway, golf makes me very, very happy. What else is in my happy bag? Well, this is what you call a green card. A green card that looks white. I don't know why in the United States we call it green when it's white. But the day I received this card made me very, very happy because it meant I could live, I could work, I could stay forever in the beautiful United States of America. And aren't you all glad I got one of these, right? (laughs) Makes me very, very happy. What else have I got in my happy bag? Oh, I've got one of these. This is what you call a blankie for those of you who don't have kids. My son has about 27 million of these, and he tries to get them all at once, and he sleeps with them all at once. This makes me very happy, not because I sleep with it, but because it reminds me of my son and all the cute little things he does. And when I see them with him, it's wonderful. So this is his latest thing right now. He gets these, he puts them over his shoulder, and he just walks around the house with over his shoulder. It's so darn cute, and it makes me so happy. What else have I got in my happy bag here? I have a sheet of paper that made me very happy and still makes me very happy. It is called my marriage license. This is the day that somebody actually said yes to me. And I was so happy and I married my sweetheart Raquel and I was the happiest man, the happiest day of my life, even though she was late to the wedding. And... uh, And this reminds me of the happiness that continues because every day I get to see the love of my life and someone who loves me equally back, which I can't believe. It makes me very, very happy. What's the last thing here? 
This makes me very happy. It's not just showing that I'm a British citizen, it's my British passport, but traveling makes me happy. I love to go to different places and see different things, different countries. I love to travel. I love to get a good deal on Priceline and spend hardly anything on a really swanky hotel. And uh, I love to travel because traveling makes me very happy. And the last thing on my happy bag is Generation Church. Oh, isn't that nice? You all make me so happy. That is my happy bag. But what I've discovered about my happy bag is that many of these things make me happy for a moment. But if I want to keep being happy, I need to keep working at it. Other things in that bag, like the chocolates, are just God's blessing to humanity, for he loves humanity. And he just wants to bless us with good things like British chocolate and British tea. Those are the things that God gives us. But most of the things that make us happy give us a moment of euphoria, which wears off very quickly. How many of you remember a few years ago when the Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl? Right? Do you remember that? How happy did everybody feel? We had a party that night at Generation Church and everyone was going crazy. But how many of you can remember that moment of happiness? How many of you are still happy that three or four years ago, whenever it was, the Baltimore Ravens won a Super Bowl? That moment of euphoria has worn off. Have you ever thought what makes us really happy? On July 4th, 1776, the Declaration, of the, uh, the, the Declaration of Independence of the United States was signed. And in the Declaration of Independence, there was three unalienable rights that Americans have, and they are this. They are the right to life, liberty, and, uh, sorry, li- yeah, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Did you know, as an American, you have the right to pursue happiness? You have the right to go through your life and try to find the things that make you happy. It is ingrained in Americans to pursue happiness. But yet, when you look at the history of humanity and you look at different people groups, there are many people groups who do not think it is a right to be happy. There are many people who think that that being happy is not something that you should attain. Actually, there's even some people groups who believe that if you are happy, then you are not holy or you are not godly or you are not in touch with a higher being because you are happy. But as Americans, we believe that it is a right to be happy. Now, if you study philosophy at all, you will see that modern philosophers and ancient philosophers had a similar view of happiness. They believe uh, that happiness is found in honor. Or happiness is found in riches. Or happiness is found in splendor. Or happiness is found in sensual pleasure. And many people believe this, and maybe you might believe it today. You see it all the time. You see the single person who believes if they just find their soulmate, they're going to be happy. You, you, you find uh, the, the couple who may be married for a while and have not had a baby. They believe that if they just have a baby, it will make you happy. You see poor people who believe if they can just gain some money, they will be happy. 
You see the family who live in the starter home and have grown like rabbits. And now there's like kids everywhere. And they believe if they just move to a bigger home with more space, they will be happy. You see the person who, who, who's at the bottom of the career ladder and they believe they can just climb the career ladder, then they will be happy. And this is what many of the philosophers who have lived throughout this, the, the history of humanity believe. And while these things are often nice, they do not quench the longing to pursue happiness. King Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he was so correct in some of the things that he said in Ecclesiastes. This is one of the things that he said. In Ecclesiastes 2, verses 9 to 11, he says, I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I look at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, Solomon said, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the winds, there was nothing really worthwhile out there. Solomon, in his later years, he viewed life and he started realizing, I've got all this stuff. But it really doesn't make me happy. It doesn't really give long-term happiness. And the truth is this, is that long-term real happiness is not found in the tangible things of this world. But real long-term happiness is found in the intangibles of heaven. I'll say that again. That real long-term happiness is not found in the tangibles of this world, but real long-term happiness is found in the intangibles of heaven. When Jesus walked this earth, there were many different religious teachers and religious sects of the day, and they would have different views of what would bring happiness. There's a group called the Pharisees and then another group called the Sadducees and some called the Essians and some called the Zealots. And this is what they believed. The Pharisees believed that happiness was found in tradition. If we could just go back to how it was before, if we could just keep the traditions of our life, of our culture, then we would be happy. Then the Sadducees came along and they said, real happiness is found in liberalism. If we could just push the moral barometer a little further on, if, if we could just take on new things and experience new things and, 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 and try to take new ways in the world, we will find happiness. The Essians believed if we could just withdraw from culture and we could like put a bubble wrap around us and, and never be able to go outside or, or, or associate with anybody in our culture, then we would be happy. If we could live like monks, then we could be happy. And then the zealots. I love the zealots because they were so zealous about political things. And they believed if we could just change the political climate, if we could just change the government, then we would be happy. And we've got an election coming up. And let me tell you, whoever gets into power, you still ain't going to be happy. Just to let you know. Because the government will never make you happy happy even you get a, even if you get a nice refund check this year on your tax bill and these things remind me of our culture today and some of the things that 
people think bring happiness. Many people try to go back to how things used to be. If things were how they used to be, we would be happy. If we just push forward and become more liberal, we would be happy. If, if we bubble wrap ourselves and bubble wrap our kids, then we'll be okay and we'll be happy. If we change the political climate, we will be happy. And Jesus comes on the scene and as Jesus starts his public ministry, which lasted about three and a half years, as he started this journey to the cross where he would die for the sins of humanity, he started to exclaim where true happiness is found. And what he said was totally against what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essians and the Zealots had to say. And this is what Jesus had to say. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, it says, One day, as he, meaning Jesus, saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountain and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach. So Jesus has already started his public ministry. The crowds are coming around because of the miracles that he is doing. And Jesus goes up a hill, and he sits down. And when Jesus sits down, it's because everybody knows it's so he can teach. Unlike today, we teach by standing up, like I'm standing up. Back in those days, the real people who taught, they would sit down to teach often. And as Jesus sat down, suddenly the disciples came around because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And Jesus knew that his disciples, they needed to understand the basic truths of the kingdom of heaven before they can continue to follow Jesus. This is why. Because as they followed Jesus, Jesus knew that crowds would follow him. Jesus knew that miracles would happen. Jesus knew that there may be fame if you follow me in this moment, and Jesus had to teach them that happiness is not found in the crowds. Happiness is not found in riches. Happiness is not found in miracles. Happiness is not found in fame or fortune. Jesus had to teach them where true happiness is found. And so, as he started teaching, he started to say, true happiness is found on a life completely reliant on the Father. So after this, Jesus immediately starts making eight statements. Eight statements. They're called the Beatitudes. These eight statements all start with the same words. And the word is this, blessed or God blesses those. And so there's these eight statements that that Jesus makes and he uses this thing and, and he says, blessed are. Now, in these statements, what Jesus is saying, you may have a view of what blessed is. You may think that, you know, a, a, a pay increase in your, in your paycheck is being blessed. You may think that your kid just taking a three-hour nap is being blessed. You may think that British chocolate is being blessed. You may just think being American is blessed. But what does blessed really mean? Well, this word here, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so as, uh, as, as it was written in Greek, there was this word that is used that has been translated as blessed. And the word, the Greek word, was a word called makarius. And makarius basically means this. In a basic definition, it means this. It means a world... That is not constricted by the constraints of fate. Means if you are Macarius 
then you are not constricted by fate. Your life is not determined by fate. There's also a second translation that they would use as well. It also means those who are truly well off. Those who are truly well off. And then the early Christians, when they gathered in the church in the very first days of the church being in existence, they would use this word a lot. And they would use this word to talk about the eternal joy and happiness that is found in Jesus Christ. So when they would meet each other, the Jews would say shalom. The, uh, uh, the, the early Christians, they would get together and they would give a greeting like Maranatha. And then they would use this word Macarius, which means that I have joy because I have Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives these eight statements as he sits down and he's using these statements as an invitation to a better life. He's saying, if you do this, you will have an invitation to a better life. And that's why Jesus came to give you a better life. John 10 verse 10 tells us this. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come to give you a rich and satisfying life. And so Jesus gives these statements to the disciples so they could understand where true happiness and true, real, authentic, satisfying, rich life is. And then he starts with this. Matthew chapter, three, chapter 5, verse 3. He says this. He says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is this. Many translations said this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus starts this sermon, this teaching, which now we know is the greatest sermon that has ever been told. It's called the Sermon on the Mount with a bombshell. He totally counters the thought of culture of the day. And Jesus said this, you are blessed if you are poor. You are blessed if you are poor. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? How can we be blessed if we're poor? No, we're blessed if we're rich. We're blessed if if we have a lot. The philosophers of the day would say, no, true happiness, true blessing. You are truly well off if you have honor and status and, and, and you have splendor and you, you have fame and riches and sensual pleasure. No, Jesus, what are you talking about? You are truly blessed if you are poor. How can you be happy? Shouldn't it say blessed are the rich? Blessed are the rich. See, the belief of the time was this, that if you are poor, then you are unhappy and you are sad. If you are rich, you are happy. And the more you have, the more happiness that you gain. And the word that Jesus uses here, poor, it's actually a poor translation to use the word poor. It actually should read this. Because this word that Jesus uses was so much stronger than poor. Really a good translation would be this, destitute. Destitute. Jesus is saying this, blessed are the destitute, happy are the destitute, truly well off are the destitute. The destitute are not constrained by fate. What does destitute mean? All those who have lost hope, those who cannot survive by themselves. And people believed at the time that if you were destitute, if you were poor, if you had lacked, it's because God had forgotten about you. 
But Jesus comes on the scene and immediately this is what Jesus says. If you are poor, if you have messed up, if, if, if you don't have anything, God has not forgotten about you. No, God has given you an invitation to the kingdom of heaven. God has given you an invitation into a rich and satisfying life. And he is totally busting the myth that if you lack, it's because God is mad with you and God has forgotten about you. Jesus combines this word destitute with the word spirits or our need for God. So this is what it reads. It says, blessed are the poor and realize their need for him. Basically, when you combine these two words together, Jesus is saying this. He is saying that if you are destitute in your soul and you acknowledge your need for God, then you are happy and you are well off. I don't believe that Jesus is talking about material things here. He's talking about the soul, the condition of your soul, if you have a poor soul, if you have a destitute soul. And we would think that happy would be the good moral people who have it together. We know all those, you know, those people who just seem like they have it all together. Shouldn't they be happy? How about the religious folk who never do anything wrong at all? Shouldn't they be happy? No, Jesus says this. He says, happy or blessed or those who are well off are the ones who have messed up. They are the ones who know they can't help themselves. They are the ones who are begging for their very soul. Here Jesus is giving a foundational spiritual truth that many find hard to accept. Man is sinful and inherently bad, who cannot work his way to God no matter how good you think someone is. They are like everybody else who is spiritually destitute in their soul, in need of the saving grace of God. Happiness cannot be found until you realize it is nothing that you can do. It is all that he has already done. And Jesus tells us that when you understand this, that when you understand your spiritual depravity, there is a place in the kingdom of heaven for you. And notice here, Jesus doesn't use a past tense verb. He doesn't say, you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says, no, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Yours right now. It's a present place that you can, you can enter right now. The kingdom of heaven there's lots of ways to describe the kingdom of heaven. Romans 14, 17 tells us, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of heaven is goodness, joy, and peace. Then Colossians 1, 13, 14 tells us, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Here we are hearing that the kingdom of heaven is a place of freedom and forgiveness. I love the truth that Jesus gives here. It doesn't matter what you have done. What state you are in, whether you are religious or not, there is an invitation to a life of peace, of joy, of goodness and forgiveness. An invitation to all to the incredible kingdom of God. You are happy not because you are spiritually deprived. You are happy because it brings you to Jesus. And as Jesus explains to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, as you read through it, you will start to understand 
that the kingdom of heaven isn't just about the forgiveness of sins, but it's about living and breathing continually in the grace of God. Then because of this grace, you can learn to live a life in the kingdom. And the life in the kingdom is a life without anger. It's a life where you don't have to lust. It's a life where you don't have to lie. It's a life where you can walk in humility and you don't need to live in vanity. It's a life where you are actually able to bless those who curse you. It's a life where you can live worry-free. It's a life where you don't have to judge others and you do not need your 15 minutes of fame. So you discover that the philosophers had it all wrong. You don't need honor or riches or splendor or sensual pleasure to make you happy. For happiness is found in the kingdom of heaven, a place of pure freedom of peace and contentment. This place is available to you today. It is available to all and it starts with this. Change our way of thinking to realizing it's not about us. It's all about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 tells us, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he planned for us long ago. Here we are, ta- we are told it is not about what we have done. It is all about him. And when we understand that, we start to realize that life is a very happy place because of Jesus. On your chairs, you've got one of these cards. And this is just a reminder, and we will be handing out different ones every single week, and you can collect them all. As a reminder that truly well off are those who understand that their soul is a soul of depravity, that they need God. And when they understand that they need God, they turn to God, and then they are able to access the kingdom of heaven, a place of freedom, of joy, of contentment, of peace, of forgiveness, and freedom. That is a place everybody should want to be. And it starts with understanding it's all about him and nothing you can do. Let's bow our heads in prayer. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today, we're going to finish up very quick. We've run over time, but if you are in this place today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you came in today and you thought, well, I, I, I can work my way to God or I can help myself or I'm a good person, I'm a God, good moral person you came in that place today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you cannot access the kingdom of heaven. But in this place today, and it should be every one of us, should be this yearning to to, to God, this begging to God, coming to the cross of Jesus and begging for our very soul because poor, the poor in spirit are the ones who are happy because they understand It is all about Christ and nothing I can do. 
And so if that's you today, then you can experience the kingdom of heaven. You can experience the transformational life of Jesus Christ. You can become what is called born again of the Spirit of God today and receive Jesus in your life and start to experience the freedom and the joy and the hope and the love and the liberty and the contentment that is found in the kingdom of heaven. And it starts with one word, and that word is this, repent. Repent basically means to change back your mind. Repent for going the wrong way and come back to Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and if that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer with me today. For those of you, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, you have access to the kingdom of heaven, but you've got to a place where maybe you're thinking yourself a little bit more than what you should. And it's stopping you experiencing all that there is in the kingdom. See, when you come and give your life totally to Jesus, then the fruit and the rewards of the kingdom are available to you. And if that's you, pray along with me as well.